Well, the data is in, and it's pretty hard to deny at this point that big law has a liberal bias. But on today's episode, we're not only going to get into why this is, but also whether this is even a problem. Hello, you're listening to On The Merits, the news podcast from Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government. I'm your host, David Schultz. Let's face it, everyone in the legal world knows there are Democratic firms and there are Republican firms, and most people suspect that there are more of the former than of the latter. But actually marshalling the data to prove this is not so easy. A few years ago, some researchers looked at how much money attorneys gave to campaigns, and this was interesting, but it said more about the political leanings of attorneys themselves and less about the actual firms. Now, a new study led by Notre Dame law professor Derek Muller tackles this question from a different angle. Muller and his team compiled all of the amicus briefs filed at the Supreme Court by big law firms who were representing what the researchers called likely pro bono clients. And they found that these briefs overwhelmingly fell on the liberal side of the spectrum. As we'll get into in a bit, looking at pro bono clients, or at least likely pro bono clients, is a really interesting way to get at this question. But the bigger question, the one tackled by legal writer extraordinaire and Bloomberg Law columnist David Latt, is, well, what should be done about this? If firms do lean liberal, is that a problem? And furthermore, would an attempt to fix this cause worse problems? Latt has some interesting thoughts on this, but first I asked him to get into what this latest study actually found. So Professor Muller and his colleagues were trying to explore the ideological leanings of large law firms. And the way they decided to do this was by looking at amicus briefs. Specifically, they looked at all U.S. Supreme Court amicus briefs filed between 2018 and 2022 by AmLaw 100 firms. So they're focused on large law firms, a.k.a. big law. And for each of those, they used a political science database to code them to see whether or not the brief took the conservative position, the liberal position, or neither position. And their conclusion, what they found was, of the 851 briefs that they reviewed, 64% supported the liberal position, 31% supported the conservative position, and 5% supported neither side. 64%. So that's like two-thirds supporting the, the liberal position. Yes. So I, I get the sense from reading your column that you found this to be a really interesting, maybe like elegant study design, because there have been a lot of studies in the past that have looked at you know who lawyers donate to with their own personal money. But this is, in a way, not looking at the individual lawyers, but looking at the firms themselves. Yes. So the, I would say, most widely noted study of big law ideological leanings before Professor Muller's was a paper by three researchers that came out in 2015 that looked at campaign contributions, as you mentioned. And that did find that lawyers in general, and also especially lawyers at the 100 largest firms, do lean to the left. But as Professor Muller pointed out in an interview I conducted with him for my column, the issue there is these are individual contributions. The firm has no say in them. These are what individual lawyers are doing with their own money. What Professor Muller liked about amicus briefs is that these are briefs produced by the firm. They have to go through a conflicts check. They have to go through an approval process to have that pro bono client looked at uh, and approved by the firm. 
And so they reflect the priorities of the firm. And yes, just to clarify, these are briefs that uh, were filed on behalf of what Professor Muller uh, noted were likely pro bono clients. Because of course, corporations that are typical big law clients are filing amicus briefs in all sorts of cases. He wanted to look at pro bono cases specifically. Were you surprised by the findings here? Um, as you mentioned, you know there was a study uh, several years ago that found something similar, and this seems to reinforce that. But even going back further, it seems like the legal profession for a long time has had reputation as sort of leaning to the left. Um, what do you think? I was actually surprised that it wasn't higher, that two-thirds figure. I thought that it would be even more lopsided to the left. And one thing that was also interesting was Professor Muller focused on what he called high salience cases, the cases that are in some ways the most controversial and maybe the most illuminating. These were the cases that drew the highest number of amicus briefs. And there were only five cases that drew 60 or more amicus briefs. And those were Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, Bostock v. Clayton County, Harris Funeral Homes v. EEOC, uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin, Fulton v. City of Philadelphia, and June Medical Services v. Russo. And if you look at those cases, they're all about the hot, most hot-button issues of the day, abortion, LGBTQ rights, the Second Amendment. And for those highest salience cases, the tilt was overwhelming. 95% of the big law briefs supported the liberal position, and only 5% supported the conservative position. This is kind of a big question, but why do you think that is, that it seems like all the evidence is very clear that the legal profession leans, you know, liberal? Um, is it because, you know, Republicans tend to be the party that advocates tort reform, which I have to imagine would be catastrophic for the legal industry's bottom line if it really sort of went through in a major way? Or is it something more fundamental than that? It's not just about the bottom line. It's about something, you know, even deeper. That's a good question, and I don't really know if we fully know the reasons. Now, I think that people who hold liberal positions might say, well, maybe it's because people who work at these large law firms are, on average, very intelligent and highly educated people, and so therefore they have the correct positions on these issues. I do think there's a skew because these large law firms are populated by people who emerge from certain educational institutions, often elite law schools, and those elite law schools dramatically skew to the left. And so they are hiring out of places that are not a representative sampling of American lawyers or certainly not the American public. But then again, that sort of raises the other question of, well, then why are law schools the way they are? So I'm not really sure that we exactly know the reasons for this. Uh, one thing to clarify, the study is really focused, I would say, on social issues which are the ones that are often touched on by these pro bono amicus briefs. It's not focused on what big law firms do day in and day out, which is represent Fortune 500 companies and wealthy individuals and things of that nature. So whenever somebody says, well, big law is liberal, a lot of people say, how can you say that? They represent fossil fuel companies and opioid manufacturers and this, that, and the other thing. And that's true. But I think there has to be a distinction drawn between social issues and economic issues. I do think that large law firms are economically right of center, but on social issues, left of center. Yeah, that's a really important point that the the paying clients are of a very different ideological stripe. And you actually had a great kicker, a great last paragraph to your column where you said, you know, uh, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here that, 
you know, regardless of whether law firms like red or blue, their favorite color is green, the green of money. Uh, so it sounds like looking just at pro bono clients doesn't necessarily give you the whole picture of where a law firm stands. Yes, exactly. There are a lot of complexities, I would say. Um, but I do think that the overall bottom line of Professor Muller's study is clear. Another thing that really stood out to me in your column is that you pointed out specifically Jones Day, which is known as one of the most conservative firms out there. Uh, and yet, according to the data, more than half of the amicus briefs that it filed were on the liberal side. Now, of course, that's far, far lower than the average for all firms, but that's still more than half. I was really surprised that it was that high. Were you surprised? Uh, yeah, a little bit, actually. But uh, it, it is it does go to show that even a firm like Jones Day, which was regarded as super conservative, still in these pro bono cases does lean to the left. Um, so I found that very striking. It was still, though, one of the top five firms of the 100 with that 50-50 split, because as we discussed, 64% tend to be on the left. That's the overall number. And so if you're roughly half and half, that can actually make you one of the most conservative firms in the MLA 100, which Jones Day is by this particular metric. I'm really torn here because on the one hand, it seems like, you know, these numbers are pretty stark. But on the other hand, I just don't know if anything could or should be done. What do you think uh, about that? Do you think that this is something that the uh, industry needs to change or no? I've written about this in other venues, and I do think that large law firms would benefit from greater ideological or intellectual diversity. Research does show that more intellectually diverse teams are better at problem solving. And if you are litigating before conservative courts with many Trump appointees, especially the Supreme Court, you need to be able to understand a conservative mindset. And so I think it does behoove a firm to have at least some conservatives in its ranks. Also, I would point out that clients are sometimes conservative and they might like it if a firm is right of center. Now, the flip side of that is some clients are not and they actually don't like it if firms represent conservative causes. So, of course, we all remember how Paul Clement and Aaron Murphy left Kirkland & Ellis to start their own boutique, Clement Murphy, because some private equity clients of Kirkland's reportedly did not like the Second Amendment work that Paul and Aaron were doing. So clients can cut both ways. But uh, again, I think these are all very interesting observations. Do you think there's also an argument to be made, and I don't know if I'm barking up the wrong tree here, but that this data shows that conservative clients don't uh, have the same access to pro bono representation that liberal clients do? The, the big law firms aren't as willing or as eager to take on pro bono conservative clients. Do you see any of that here? So I think that is definitely one possible interpretation of the data or one explanation for the skew. And it's consistent with what I've heard anecdotally from conservative lawyers. I have heard anecdotally from conservative lawyers that they want to represent certain clients, but either A, they didn't get approval, or B, they didn't even bother seeking it because they just knew it wouldn't be granted. And so I do think that is the case. And I would note that even though the phenomenon of big law tilting left is not new, I do think that in this day and age where people are increasingly polarized, it is manifesting itself more in the representation of clients, both pro bono and paid. 
I think that people are now much more vocal about criticizing a law firm if it has a client or cause that the person doesn't like. Yeah, that information is a lot easier to find, and and the yes, you know, yeah. Um, the flip side to that, though, what you just mentioned is that how would you go about changing this? It seems like one of the only ways to do that would be implementing something like a quota or something that looks like a quota, and that's a, a whole you know can of worms there. Um, what do you make of that? I mean, do you see any way to go about changing this as, aside from? You know, a law firm saying we're going to hire X number of conservatives or we're going to take on X number of conservative clients, which seems really, really messy. It's funny when people have talked about this issue in academia, people have said, well, should we have affirmative action in a way for conservatives? Should we deliberately hire more conservative professors or admit more conservative students? And I'm not really in favor of that. I, I don't think that that is a good idea. And I think many conservatives would want to be judged on their merits rather than with some kind of leg up or thumb on the scale. I think there it's a hard problem to solve. I guess I would urge law firm management to be a little more permissive in a way when it comes to approving pro bono assignments that are ideologically maybe a little bit to the right. I think that they should kind of go back to the way they were 10 or 15 years ago, where it was more of a live and let live kind of approach. Like, look, I don't have to work on that uh, case uh, representing that client I don't like, but I'm going to allow my colleagues down the hall to do it if they want to, as long as, of course, there's no conflict with the current client, like an actual client conflict. That, of course, you can't get around. Um, so I guess I would just say to be a little bit more flexible and even to just be aware of the issue, which I think is one of the good things about Mueller's paper. It just flags the issue for people. And I think he was saying in the interview with me that I did for my Bloomberg Law column that this is a, an opportunity for law firms to do a little introspection and to see, well, how liberal are we? And is this affecting us as a workplace or is this affecting our business development? So I think it's a good opportunity for reflection by firms. Yeah. All right. Well, that was David Latt, uh, Bloomberg Law columnist, uh, speaking with us. David, thank you so much. This is really fascinating. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, David. It's a lot of fun. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. I'm Kimberly Robinson. I'm Greg Storr. And I'm Lydia Wheeler. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court. The filings, the arguments, the yachts, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon at the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.